Welcome to the third episode in our four-part series of Livewire. Um, we're looking today at the third love. So we've been talking about this idea of growing and maturing and uh, having a deeper love for God and what that might look like. So we looked at the first uh, love of God, if you like, that I went through, the first love, which was the fear of God. I talked about how having a strong fear of God and fear of God's punishment actually leads us to loving God in a deeper way. Then in the last episode, we looked at the love of people and how having a love for God will automatically eventually overflow into a love of people. But today I want to talk about the third love. So um, I talked about the fact that when I first became a Christian, it was because of my fear of God and my fear of hell. Then I talked about the fact that um, after coming to know the Lord, I really wanted to share uh, my faith with others because I realized that God loved them and I realized that they were in the same danger that I had been in. But as I started to um, really start to grow in my faith, um, I realized that salvation is, is instant, uh, but it's still something that has to be worked through you. And I failed in many different areas. There were, there were some areas in my life that I just um, just was really struggling in and I really sensed God's grace. And there was a particular passage of scripture that really helped me. It was a, a poem um, that David, King David wrote after he'd been found out uh, for failing God and for committing sin. I want to share this passage of scripture with you because it meant so much to me. Creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it, and you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. So Psalm 51 is a beautiful psalm, and there was an incredible amount of encouragement I gained from it, because David wrote it after committing a horrible crime. He um, committed adultery with another man's wife, and then he had that man essentially murdered. So if he could write such a beautiful psalm and know God's forgiveness, then maybe so could I. And while I was serving God and making mistakes, I would sometimes use that prayer and pray David's words to God. And something I noticed during that time was that uh, as I was being forgiven and God was drawing me back, I, I could actually sense God's love deeper now, the Bible says we should not sin in order to know grace. But the fact is, as I experienced grace, I was falling deeper and deeper in love with God. And so what is the, the third love? I would say, at least in my process of maturing and growing in the love of God, that the third love is the love of God. Now, some people would say, well, surely the love of God is uh, the ultimate love, falling in love with God. Surely that is the ultimate. But for me, it was just part of the process. There's actually a, another level. But for now, let me just talk about love and fear. 
You know it's said that there are only really two emotions in life and that every other emotion comes from these two emotions. The two emotions are love and fear. You show me an angry man and I'll show you a man who is afraid. You show me a jealous woman and I'll show you a woman who is fearful. You show me an excitable man and I'll show you a man who's probably in love to some extent. So love is a more powerful force, of course, than fear. And the love of God is more powerful than, than even the love of people. But there's one more thing we need to understand about the love of God, and it is this. The greatest lovers of people are those who love God more than they love people. Essentially, on pays, I've noticed there are two kinds of people. Those who do what they do because of a love for people and those who do what they do for a love of God. And sometimes those things change during their first year on pays. But I've noticed that those who love God more than they love people actually are better at loving people because there are a couple of differences. Those who love God more than they love people will do things for people that they do not love. Uh, I do not mean people they don't love, but they'll do things that they don't like doing. Um, one example of this, and um, this is a really simple example, but um, I remember a while back, um, as we were teaching people how to take care of um, those they were reaching, we talked about using social media and how effective social media can be to help connect with young people. So there was somebody on a PAYS project um, course working in youth leadership, and somebody turned around and said, but I, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to do social media. I signed up to love on the young people. Now, when you think about that and break that down, what you realize is really they signed up because of a feeling they were getting. Um, and even though social media is proven to be an effective way to connect with young people, they didn't want to do it because their primary motive was the feeling they were getting by loving on the young people. Those who love God and are looking to advance his kingdom most will actually care more for people because they'll do things they don't particularly like to do. At least that's what I've noticed. A second thing, and I think this is important, is about fear. Those who love God will serve people that otherwise they would be afraid of. You see, there's one thing in life that's certain. You cannot lead people you're afraid of. If you're afraid of somebody, maybe not necessarily physically, if you're afraid of rejection, if you're afraid that they will say hurtful words to you, if you're afraid that they will keep you out of their gang or their group, if you're afraid of what they can do to your status or to your job, then often we will back away and we'll compromise. But if a more powerful force in your life is a love for God, you won't be afraid of them. And even though they may make you nervous, even though some of those thoughts may cross your mind, you will move forward and you will confront and you will challenge, which is a really important part of love. Listen to what um, the Lord said to one of his prophets. He says in Ezekiel 3, But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flints. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. 
What God was saying to Ezekiel is, look, you may be afraid, but I'm going to put something within you that will make you even tougher than they are. He was sending Ezekiel to the people of Israel who at the time were being really rebellious. And he said, don't be afraid of them. Just love me and I will put a strength in you that, that surpasses theirs. And I feel that God has helped me in that area, that as I've messed up sometimes, but known the grace of God, uh, it is strengthen my relationship with him I've understood his love more and in turn I think I've loved him more so what is grace well grace is simply that we don't get what we deserve instead we get a reward based on what Jesus did rather than what we have done with that in mind take a look at this video and then I'm going to ask you a short couple of questions for the next workshop so I wonder if you've ever felt like Harvey the dog, who at the moment in this video is in a dog's home, hoping for an owner to come and take him away. So let's look at our first workshop. Do you ever feel like Harvey the dog? And if so, what do you do to earn God's attention or God's love? Simple exercise, have a quick think and discuss in the group if you're watching this live wire together. So let's talk about Christ's Lordship. You know, we said in one of the other episodes that the problem is that God created man in his image and ever since, a lot of the time we've been trying to create God back into our image, into the person we want him to be. So let me ask you this question. When you love God, who is it exactly that you're loving? See, I think for us to be the greatest lovers of God, we also have to remind ourselves that perhaps Jesus had a love language. Now, that may sound strange, but first of all, let me remind you of what those love languages are. Uh, there's words of affirmation, the fact that we say kind words to encourage people. Um, there are the receiving of gifts, uh, which is really just a sign of how much we're thinking about somebody. Quality time, we talked about the fact that when we spend quality time, it can uh, really pass on a sense of love, although that quality time can look different with different people. We've talked about touch, the fact that touch is a way of passing on our affection and love. And also, finally, we talked about um, acts of service. I wonder if you've ever thought about the fact that uh, maybe Jesus had a love language. So before we continue, let me try and destroy two myths. The first one is that Jesus was perfect and therefore the perfect balance 
of all personalities. So there's two problems with that. First of all, um, there is no perfect balance because uh, God didn't design us to be uh, perfect in our personality. Um, he wants us to be interdependent, not independent. And Christ was fully God, but he was also fully human. So yes, he was perfect in character, but he would have had a personality. He would have had a personality different from you and probably different from me and more like someone else. And um, we have to understand the difference between personality and character. Character would be like the fruits of the spirit. Personality would be just um, less important things, you know, whether you're funny or you're not funny, whether you're loud or whether you're quiet. You know, sometimes I wonder if I would have got on with Jesus, you know, I know it sounds strange, but maybe you've loved somebody or you're in love with somebody, but sometimes you just don't get on with them. I wonder if that would have been the case with me and Jesus. I don't know. I just know this, that Jesus had a personality and I believe he would have had a preference about how we show love to him. So in this episode of, of looking at the third love and being in love with God, let's explore the idea of Jesus Christ's love language. What's important is not that we agree on which one it may have been. What's important is that we're spending time thinking, how can I not just receive God's love, but how can I show God's love in a deeper way as well? So let's look at our second workshop. What was Jesus's primary love language? Do you have a biblical basis for your answer? And if so, briefly debate your reasoning in your group and see if you can convince others of what your idea is. Okay, please take some time to do that. Remember, we're not here to argue about love languages. Who, who really knows? Uh, well, I think I have an answer, but we'll see. Um, the main thing here is that we begin to grasp the importance of growing, not just in the love we receive from Jesus, but in the way that we show love to him as well. Hopefully it's an interesting exercise and I'll speak to you soon for our third and final section. So if Jesus had a love language, what could it have been? Could it have been words of affirmation? I mean, David said in Psalm 51, he, he said this, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. But then listen to what Jesus himself said. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I think it's interesting that Jesus said, Lord, Lord, as if people would keep saying the word. I wonder if sometimes we do that. We keep saying Lord, thinking if we say it enough, if we use the words enough, then, then it really is true that he is the Lord of our lives. In actual fact, though, um, just because we say words doesn't always mean a lot. And um, worship is more than just words, of course. So I personally don't believe that Jesus' primary love language was words of affirmation, partly because worship is more than words, but mainly because Jesus doesn't need our affirmation. Jesus doesn't need to be filled or completed by us or encouraged by us. Um, when we need words of affirmation, it's because we're maybe not feeling loved or we need a bit of encouragement and those words affirm us. But Jesus doesn't need affirming. Jesus is who he is. He's secure in who he is. So I'm not sure words of affirmation, at least, would be his primary love language. 
What about receiving gifts? So receiving gifts uh, certainly brings joy, um, but sometimes it brings more joy to the person who gives the gift than the person who's receiving it. For instance, take a look at this guy. His name is Brother Franklin. That guy certainly understood that it's better to give than to receive. Um, so listen to what Psalm 51 says about this. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. So on one hand, David says you're not interested in the sacrifices and gifts and burnt offerings. But then a few, uh, one or two verses later, he says this. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So what's the difference here? Well, interestingly, uh, what David is saying is when we're righteous, then the gift will mean something. So in actual fact, the gift itself does not do a lot for God. It's the righteousness that makes the gift important. In fact, why do we make sacrifices to God? Without going into too much detail, I think God wants us to make sacrifices because he's, he's, he's really just using something we naturally do to help us connect with him. You know, every tribe in the world, it seems, makes some kind of sacrifice. There's something innate within us to do that to give in that way, uh, to honour in that way. And I think God is using that to connect with us. Thirdly, what about touch? So we can't physically touch God. So in, in one sense, no, that, that can't really be it. We don't find in the Bible Jesus being um, touched very often uh, in, in that kind of way. Uh, in fact, when people touch him, it's more to receive power from him. In saying that, I had a friend who uh, once went to do a hospital visit and when he got there, uh, the guy who was in the hospital said, oh, it's really good to see you. I don't see many people from the church. And the man said to him, well, God's always here. And the guy said, yes, but I need God with skin on. I need God with skin on. That made me think that, yeah, physical touch may be not directly, but indirectly we can show uh, love to God by loving physically with other people, by giving hugs to widows, like I mentioned in the last episode. Okay, what about quality time? Well, David certainly wanted quality time with God. He said this, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. 
I think it's important for us to, to sense the presence of God. It, it's really important for us to feel that kind of quality time with him. But maybe for God less so, because God's always with us. He always is in our presence, if you like. And I think there's a really intriguing passage that gives us a clue to um, God's love language uh, that connects this one as well. So let me read to you. This is the story of Moses, where Moses meets God and is ushered into the presence of God uh, with the, the bush that burns up, but sorry, bush that burns but never burns up. Listen to what happens in this story. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are repressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses is in the very presence of God and knows it. How awesome must he have felt? I'm in the very presence of God. I've even got to take off my sandals because this is holy ground. He's He's got this quality time with God, just him and God completely together. God, on the other hand, has a quick conversation and then says, go. I mean, that conversation, if it's fully uh, what the Bible tells us, if, if that's all that happened, that conversation lasted, what, three or four minutes? And then God was, off you go, get out of here. And what did he ask Moses to do? He asked Moses to serve him. I would say this. God's love language, the way he receives love, is acts of service. Listen to what Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. It's grace that if it really takes hold of our life, it will overflow into acts of service because it seems to me God absolutely loves our worship. He, in, he inhabits our worship, but our worship is not simply our praise and our words. It's our action. In fact, if all we do is give words of affirmation, but our actions don't back it up, then I think it means very little. If we offer sacrifices and give gifts, but it's not backed up by acts of service, I wonder how much it really means to God. Listen again to what Psalm 51 says. After David says, I receive this pure heart, then I will teach transgressors your ways. You know, when I get um, a thank you card um, from people, I really like it. Um, it's really wonderful. And um, 
I used to, in my last study, I used to have them everywhere in my study. I had lots of shelves. So I had maybe 50, 60 thank you cards that people gave me. Sometimes when I turn up or after I've taught somewhere, it's really, really nice. But the best ones, the ones that thrill me, I've got to be honest, are the ones that say thank you and then tell me what they did because of the teaching. Thank you for teaching us this. I went and discipled somebody, I did this with them. I love that and my suspicion is that what really gets God's heart beating and racing is acts of service. So with that in mind, let's look at our final workshop. I'd like you to fold over a piece of paper and create a simple thank you card to Jesus. On the front, put a picture symbolizing your thanks. Inside, maybe write a poem or just some words thanking him for a lesson that he's taught you or a way he's treated you. And then on the back, just write a simple story informing him of how you implemented what he taught you or the love that you felt. I think that's just a cool little exercise. It's very simple, maybe a little bit Sunday schoolish, but I think it's kind of cool. Picture on the front that symbolizes how you've received God's grace. A little poem on the inside to tell him using your words of how much you love him. But then on the back, um, what you actually did because of God's grace in your life. Hope that's helpful. Again, this episode was not so much about arguing which of these love languages does God uh, feel the most and love the most, but really just an exploration, taking the time to think, well, if mature love doesn't just receive it a certain way, but knows that people receive it a different way, then how do I show love to God in a way that he really uh, enjoys? Hope that's helpful. And uh, next time we'll look at the fourth and what I consider to be the greatest love of all. Bye.